Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Yeah, here I am. Happy Monday. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, woohoo! Uh, today is a is a difficult day for me to come to the to come in the studios. We've got horror across uh, Louisiana, my beloved state of Louisiana. My friends and family there just devastated uh, across the state. There, the devastation is just absolutely too much for my heart to to see. On the 16th anniversary of Katrina, going to talk about that briefly. We can we've got to talk about the horror in Afghanistan. And all over the news, we're seeing U.S. war in Afghanistan ends. First of all, it ain't over. We still got Americans there. Ends? It's not over. But if, it, if, if, the, if the war in Afghanistan is over, let me tell you what's, what's really over. I'll get into this more in a moment. What's really over and that we have lost in a spectacular fashion, worse than the women's U.S. soccer team lost, Worse than whatever team that was with the handoff at the Olympics, with that, where they couldn't do the handoff of the baton, and everybody was like, oh, it was so cringy and humiliating. This, uh, think of the most humiliating moment in any individual organization or, or nation state's history. And this by far was that level of humiliation. But if it was just humiliation that we were suffering here, that wouldn't have me so heartbroken and so sick tonight. It's because that craphead occupying the Oval Office li- lied to this country. Of course, we all knew he was lying when he said that every American w- will be out before the U.S. military departs. And of course, we know that that's not true. I said before anybody two weeks ago, whenever, uh, you know, Kabul fell, I think it was, is that, uh, and Saki was saying that we Americans weren't stranded. I said, we already had hostages at that point. Whatever number it is that you're willing to believe today, if you're willing to believe it's only a hundred people there to satisfy your, your, you know, feelings tonight, you're okay with that? A hundred Americans? We didn't have a hundred Americans held hostage for 444 days with Iran. You're okay? You're okay with one American being left there in these circumstances? With a Taliban that was flying around reportedly and using U.S. Black Hawk helicopters to fly around people hung by their necks? You're okay with that's who's now running the country with Americans there? Major Scott Husing is going to be here in a moment. He wrote the book Echo and Ramadi, and he has I don't know how many missions that he's done. He's, you know, over in Iraq and Afghanistan and beyond. And he actually at one point drafted a training procedures for U.S. Marines. He's going to weigh in here. And I want to hear from you guys. 888-344-1170. We're going to talk about Afghanistan. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, uh, Hurricane Ida in case my loved ones down in Louisiana are listening, um, of which none of them have power. So the only way they could be listening might be if they were sitting out their car with their phone plugged in using their data. But I'm still going to talk about it in a moment. But I want to hear from you guys on anything that's on your minds tonight. 888-344-1170. Got to bringing my man my partner he wasn't with me friday <clears throat> so i haven't had a chance to get his feelings on any of these subjects i'm talking about my man dj potato skins yesterday i met in this very room with dj ask away pick an issue um well first of all i want to get hurricane ida out of the way um uh, yeah. 
To see Joe Biden try to pander uh, today, to try to obfuscate and try to deflect away from Afghanistan off the backs of friends and family uh, suffering under Hurricane Ida is just appalling today. You know, um, unlike the left that tried to use what happened to Katrina against George W. Bush, uh, there was nobody that thought that that Joe Biden in the last few days was sitting in the White House, sitting in the Oval Office, doing any kind of planning, anything related to Hurricane Ida. So shut up. Old man, nobody wants to hear from you. I don't know anybody in family and friends down in Louisiana that want to hear from you on anything related to FEMA or Hurricane Ida. Okay. Almost all of my family and friends learned the lessons that was of Katrina, which was personal responsibility and not rely on the government. And those that had insurance were able to rebuild. And most of them able to not only rebuild, but got full house in home generators. And they're fine today because they heeded the lessons, which was not to count on the government. So nobody's interested in your government pandering today. Prayers from my family and friends down there. I've heard from almost everybody. Got an old friend in Laplace. That was one of the hardest hit areas. So I'm sending all my love uh, down there to, to my peeps down in Louisiana. This was a major storm and it was absolutely devastating. And I'm, uh, and it's frustrating because another reason why you can't count on government is because one of my close friends has no idea when she's going to get power up and why? Because Entergy has her address listed as having power. Same way with other people, right? Don't count on government. Don't count on government. Uh, the, the NOLA is, could be possibly without power for up to six weeks because one of their towers was taken down. It's also a reminder. That's a major reminder of why we need to we need to keep China uh, as far away from anything related to our power as possible. We are entirely reliant on power in this country. All right, got to get back to Afghanistan. So, anything? What What's your thoughts, my dear, on Afghanistan? Before I continue on my role, an absolute utter disaster in every way. Yeah, we are coming up on the twenty year anniversary of nine eleven. Which, when in Afghanistan and Iraq, were all supposed to be part of something called the War on Terror. Hear what Saki came out and said today? Oh, I don't know what. No evidence that ISIS or the Taliban can attack the U.S. homeland. No. <laughs> Feel safe, Andrea. Except for the hundred or so um, that uh, the, on the no-fly list, a known terrorist got on planes, and the U.S. government. Uh, was was as I talked about on Friday night show that they, from Macedonia and beyond in Kosovo and other countries had said to the U.S. government, we're willing to take Afghan refugees and the U.S. government didn't respond to request. Why? Because they want to bring them here. Today, there's an American who did a story today uh, who busted the truth that the U.S. State Department um, after um, the State Department burned down visas for Afghani um, uh, families that, that were uh, Afghani allies, many of which had dual passports. They burned those. Now the U.S. State Department has sent out blank forms online for Afghanis to fill out. Blank passports. Blank passports. Brigitte Gabriel said today, reminded people, a hundred known terrorists have gotten on flights and got out, right? And it, yet it was only 19 hijackers that took down the towers on 9-11. But Cubans don't come. Right. Exactly. This is by design. They could have gotten all the military weaponry out and they chose to leave it all there. It. They could have gotten the Americans out and they chose to leave them there. The, the last five planes that left Kabul didn't have one person on them. Why? Why were they flying empty planes? Why were they not? Why did they not get these Americans they out? They very easily could have waited. 
They and Trump said today, well, you know, if there because there was images of Black Hawk Black Hawk helicopters flying around with people hanging off nooses, and Trump's like, we need to go in and get our get our equipment out. Well, you know, really, we should have gotten it out beforehand. Quite frankly, we had no business being there. The only thing we should have ever done is go in and get Osama bin Laden out. That was it. That's the only reason to be in Afghanistan. Target a raid. Then what you do on the way out, on your way out the doors, you tell the women and children, we're not going to bring you to America. But what you want out, we're going to, we'll, we'll drop you off somewhere along the way. Pakistan, Uzbekistan, one of the stand countries. And then you drop a nuke and you completely wipe out the country on your way out the door. That's exactly what we needed to do. But we don't have the chutzpah in a country, as a country anymore to do it. On the fifth anniversary of 9-11, I was back in D.C. And um, I interviewed a lot of people at the time. I was working on a documentary, Baking Apple Pies. And I said then, fifth anniversary, so that was what, 2006, I was questioning Bush. And I said, we didn't go there for WMDs. You guys have heard, heard me tell this story before. He, w- he went over there with some ridiculous, moronic notion. And by the way, he's awfully quiet, in my, in my opinion, these days. This moronic notion that if we went over there and coughed up lives of our U.S. military. They'd like us. And that they'd like us. Where is he today? This is not the end of a war. We've just re, we've just brought made made Islamic terror great again on the heels of the 20th anniversary of 9/11 on the 5th anniversary of 9/11 I interviewed Dr. Ahmed who was a, a professor at American University I think he had been an ambassador from Pakistan at one point and he said then on the 5th anniversary he said the terrorists are in a war against western civilization he said don't you people get it don't you think at all at that point, there had been a bomb in Spain. There had been a bomb in a Bali nightclub. He's like, a bomb in, in the tube in London. He goes, you think that doesn't have anything to do with you? He says, it's all about you. It's all about Western civilization. You people need to wake up. That didn't end. It didn't end because George W. Bush sent, sent a bunch of you know young people to their deaths in Afghanistan to build schools. Or because Mad Dog Mattis had our military going around handing out money to try to buy their affections. None of it ended. One of the things Brigitte Gabriel mentioned today, reminded me to get her back on the show, many of them are being taken to Fort Dix, New Jersey. She reminded people today in media, what happened at Fort Dix? The Fort Dix Six, right? Terrorist. Right? It only took one to kill how many military at a recruiting depot in Tennessee. It only took Major Nadal Hassan, warrior for Allah, to shoot up Fort Hood. Meanwhile, the United States of America is still running around, still holding political prisoners from people that sauntered in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th after the doors were held open for them by the Capitol Police. That's who the United States government is treating as a terrorist while they are importing Islamic terrorists into this country. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to bring in Major Scott Husing, author of Echo and Ramadi, military hero, and get his perspective. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter and Instagram at Andrea K Show, spelled K-A-Y-E. And connect with her on OurFreeNation.org. Andrea K telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. How apt, how appropriate that capital P-O-S Biden 
is trending on Twitter. I'm not an expert in the military uh, uniform code of justice, but my next guest surely is. And I'm curious. I've got a few questions for him. I'm super honored to have Scott Husing with me. Major Scott Husing, who's not just uh, I, I don't even have time to read his his, you know, his resume to you guys. He's done that much work out in the battlefield from Iraq to Afghanistan. Um, he's led hundreds of combat missions. He's got a book that I was honored to have um, him share on my show, Echo and Ramadi, uh, which who who remembers, right, what happened in Ramadi, just, in, you know, our, our heroes, what they have done over there in that desolate wasteland on behalf of this country. And to think that this is how it ended today just kills me in a way I cannot even describe to you guys. And so hopefully maybe he can make me feel a little bit better about the situation, but I doubt it. At least we can commiserate together. Major Scott Husing, welcome back to the Andrea K Show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to you again, my friend. Thank you. Um, okay, I keep seeing today. Uh, well, the war is over. The war isn't over. We've just, we've just, we've just given in. This Islamic terror. The war on Islamic terror isn't over. They still hate us. They're still out to to kill us. And in fact, we've left how many Americans behind? Well, especially, I, I would like to first start out by saying it's, it's definitely not over for the most recent Gold Star families and any any of our family members that lost Marines or soldiers during the war in Iraq or Afghanistan. It, it, it continues their whole life, the, that loss mm-hmm. that they've endured. And But to the, to the people that did sacrifice and fight over there, uh, you know, I'm at, I've been asked a, a lot this week on my thoughts and if it mattered. And uh, I, I would say first to those young men and women and some that are not so young anymore, that it, it did matter. It absolutely mattered what you did out there at the tactical level, because at that level, at the ground level, the guys, whether it be kicking in doors or, or hunting down bad guys in a, in, in a country like Afghanistan or any developing emerging third world country, we don't fight for politicians. We fight for the, the, the man and, and the Marine on our left and right. And we try to uphold that ethos and, and, and make our, families proud and our service proud by really emblem, being emblematic of that code of honor, courage, and commitment to which we're ultimately committed to. And the real blame has to be placed. And, and I know you like to use that word blame, but the responsibility mm-hmm. is not the failure of one or two, but four presidents that really never defined what winning was. Thank you. At the tactical mm-hmm. level, but mostly at the administrative level and for our nation. What was winning for our nation? And how did a protracted war in Afghanistan, 20 years, how did it define what winning was and how it really enhanced and supported our national security interests back here at home? That's the real question that needs to be asked before we go back in, because I was watching the tube the other day and I thought former secretary Leon Panetta saying, Oh, we'll be back in Afghanistan. I said, well, that's great. But, uh, and I'm all about going in and taking care of business when, when there's bad guys that need to be killed, but we have to absolutely have a plan. And that just wasn't part of their strategy at the outset of this, even towards the end, there, there was a plan and the, the word that's being thrown around. I, I heard, I heard the general today on the news, I can't remember his name, I think it was McKenzie, talk about an exfiltration, and it's been called an evacuation. The, the, the actual tactical term, when you want to talk in all things military, it should have been a time-phase planned withdrawal. That's what the agreement was with the Taliban or the government that was running, that we would withdraw our troops in a concentric manner and we would have an exit date. 
somehow, somewhere along the lines, that planned withdrawal failed to hit certain milestones and it really put us in this precarious situation where we lost another 13 guys right as we're pulling out mm-hmm. 200 Afghan civilians and, and TCNs. It was just a real mess that they created for themselves by not adhering to those milestones. And there's, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of frustration because things weren't handled properly, especially from guys that were on the ground. Right. And and then to save face, in my opinion, they cooked up this story of, oh, we took out the ISIS-K guy. Well, if you knew where he was so easily, <clears throat> why didn't you take him out before, if your intelligence was so great, before they did the suicide bomb? I, di- I didn't believe that. Then in order to save face again, they did some drone strike that just killed, what, seven kids yesterday? I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. <clears throat> I said back in 2006... <clears throat> that George W. Bush took us over there under false pretenses. And that's why there was not a definition of a win. That's why when he was asked, well, what are, where, where are we at in getting Osama bin Laden? No, I don't even think about him because that's not why we were there. And when you don't take troops into battle without a definition of oh, what's what's a win here? What does that look like? What's the goal? And how do we and how do we tactically and strategically achieve that goal? And then once we've achieved that goal, what's the exit plan? And to me, I come out of corporate America, so I'm not a military strategist, but in corporate America, we have these 30, 60, 90 day plans and we don't we don't implement day one until we know how we're coming out on the other side. I never understood any of this. And it's because they never really had anything. George W. Bush, in my opinion, um, thought that we could just win over the terrorists and that if they all you know, had a little taste of democracy, they'd fall in love with us. And the win would be kumbaya and everybody loving each other. And I, I, I don't know from a military standpoint. Uh, Trump, whether or not you think he did a good thing in four years, why didn't we do that planned withdrawal during the last four years? I feel like we should have been out of there sooner. I, I think that's a great point, Andrea. And, you know, during the midterm elections, I took note, something really rubbed me the wrong way with, with Trump. He he said, well, we kind of sort of won. And I said, there's no such thing as kind of sort of uh-huh. winning. You either win or you lose. You, you either declare victory or you just or, or you lose. And when he was commander in chief and made that remark in in a different context, talking about politics, it really spoke to me the fact that we had two wars going on still with troops in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time that our our president wasn't even defining what winning or maybe didn't have the definition at the forefront of his mind when he's thinking about all these things. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, none of us in the tribe I surround myself with, mainly veterans, we don't cry and say, oh, all the blood we shed and all the treasure we spent was for naught, because it wasn't. I, I right. tell everybody that asked me that, you know, we fought and we did our jobs. And, and if our metric of success, if we wanted to find women, was killing bad guys, trust me, we did plenty of that. And we didn't need a crystal ball. And I'm no prognosticator to realize that had we hunted this through the grandstands of life like we did and didn't leave a presence in Afghanistan, we would find ourselves exactly where we are today. And we are poor students of our history. We did not take a page out of the playbook from World War II in the Pacific and European theaters about leaving that presence. And again, Americans, by, by and large, love everything fast, fast food, fast cash, fast democracy. It took five decades to take seed in those in those areas after we went through and waged war during World War Two. And sadly, we find ourselves in a position today and have this 
common thread now with our Vietnam veterans in that long strand of rope because of the similarities of a protracted war in a country that we spent billions and billions of dollars and lost thousands of lives without ever defining what winning was and what mm-hmm. we wanted to get out of it in the end game. And everybody should know what that is. From the taxpayer who's foot in the bill mm-hmm. to, that, to that ground door kicking soldier or Marine that's downrange sacrificing and putting it all on the line every single day. They should absolutely know what that is. Well, and it and it starts, I think it starts with understanding the enemy. As we come up on the anniversary of 2011, I don't think we've had a commander-in-chief that's truly understood the enemy. George W. Bush um, thought that it was the enemy was strictly Al-Qaeda. He didn't understand that it was an ideology. This wasn't about a nation-state. Right. Um, because it wasn't a nation state that cut off a woman's head in Oklahoma. It wasn't a nation state with the Sarnayev brothers who came and blew up some people with pressure cookers or the fiance and, and her man and her man shooting up a, a Christmas party in San Bernardino. So when you don't have an understanding of who the enemy is and you're not willing to name it, you're not willing to state wh- who and what the enemy is. You can't come up with a battle plan to defeat it. And that was been a huge part of the problem. And now it exists even more because there's upwards of supposedly a hundred that got on pl- flights to come here that share the same ideology of those that took down our towers. And some of which now are supposedly being brought to Fort Dix. Um, can I ask you to hold over, Major Husing? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So Scott's going to hold on. Ma- Major, excuse me for being um, too, too um, not respectful enough. Major Husing's going to stay over the break. And uh, if you've got a question for him, uh, feel free to give us a buzz. 888-344-1170. We're going to pick his brain a little bit more about Afghanistan and where we go from here. Be sure to follow Andrea Kay on Twitter and Instagram at Andrea Kay Show, spelled K-A-Y-E. And connect with her on OurFreeNation.org. You're listening to The Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea Kay Show. Just cruising uh, uh, Twitter and Insta to see what I can find here uh, from my continued conversation with Major Scott Husing, author of Echo and Ramadi. Um, just some of the images I'm seeing, the Chinook. I, I don't know if that was, was um, I'm seeing an image right now of Taliban fighters inspecting Chinook helicopters at Kabul. Um, we saw what looked like a Black Hawk today, fly, like mocking us, flying around. Um, people hung that evidently were traitors. I mean, good grief, Major. I mean, I'm not you or Patton, but we had to leave all our all our gear there, billions of dollars worth of U.S. military assets. I just saw that photo. I, I retweeted uh, my good friend Hugh Hewitt. And uh, those helicopters, by the way, are CH-46s, which are smaller than the Chinook. And I looked closely at the photo. They look like they're in some sort of disrepair. But what was equally disturbing was the, the Taliban soldiers that were walking through that hangar and the gear, the night vision goggles, mm-hmm. the weapons, the body armor that they were wearing, the fact that they were all uniformed had obviously acquired that gear uh, at one of the one of the logistic hubs that we left behind that didn't get destroyed because it, for whatever reason, wasn't deemed sensitive material. It didn't have any intelligence value, but you know, you asked the question at the last break, you know, what next? And, you know, I'm very torn by that question because you look back to past wars and as a student of history, General Douglas MacArthur in the Philippines said, I will be back. And it took him a couple of years to do that. And if we have to go back to Afghanistan, you know, when I see photos like that of well-armed 
fighters. These guys are very well trained. They've got years and years of fighting under their belt. It just makes it that much tougher for us to really own the night, really mm-hmm. own communications. And we, we, it just makes our job a lot harder for us at the ground level. And again, it's one of those things where the senior level administrator, somebody with some actual leadership and real decisiveness, decisive leadership is going to make a decision. What is of value in Afghanistan? And not just for us, but asking and understanding the culture of Mm -hmm. the Afghan people and asking them what they want before we go in wholesale. Right. And I think that one of our, our great icons of this modern age in the Marine Corps, General Jim Mattis, really understood culture. He's such a well-read individual. He understood that as Secretary of Defense. I think that was probably one of the friction points between General Mattis and, and President Trump at mm-hmm. the time. And uh, it, it, I was very happy that, that President Trump had bolstered himself with a lot of sage military leaders that had a lot of combat experience at multiple levels of command. And right now, we, it's, it's almost absent at the senior level. And that is really, uh, really bothersome for a lot of the guys that fought in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, yeah, we saw, um, I think it was a major yesterday, Scott Scheller on Friday said, you know, I, he went public. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm the daughter of two Marines. I'm all about the chain of command. I understand it. I, you know, and it's cringy for me to see somebody buck that and do a video. But he's like, the heads, head, nobody's, it's time that we come out and we, and I'm willing to give up my career to call out the people at the top, the leaders at the top that, that, that should face accountability for this. Um, I, 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 I want to ask you a question and then are you willing to take a question? We've got a caller that would like to pose a question to you, Major. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you my question first because I'm not sure what his caller is. If you can tell the caller, I'm going to go to him in just a moment, Skins. My question for you is um, <clears throat> when we've got this kind of failure, this McKenzie dude saying today, yeah, we left assets behind, but they're not mission ready. They're not mission capable. No big deal here. Um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the, I think it's the, the military code of justice. Shouldn't heads roll with some of these people? Uh, absolutely. It, it's a it's a clear matter of accountability and not, again, adhering to those milestones and in, in, in the timeline that you set forward for a planned withdrawal of any area that we occupy. Now, there's a lot of non-essential things that we obviously leave behind in a lot of the civilian vehicles because it just costs us too much money to ship it back than it is to just leave it there or blow it in place. Uh, but some of this, I think, was just really gross oversight on the part of senior level planners uh, and, and mm-hmm. military and, and civilian, uh, because there, there's probably culpability on both sides of the house. The, the military is not a perfect organization. I won't defend them to the hilt because they, they have some onus of responsibility for that as well to consolidate all of that gear find out what's essential, what's not, even if it comes down to optics and weapons and ammunition and explosives. I mean, those are the things that the enemy has been using against us, despite our advanced technology right. that killed thousands of, of Marines and soldiers. Yeah, well, not to mention the decision to, to you know, give up Bagram, right, and and leave Kabul with, with only one, you know, um, runway and, you know, not easily as, as easily defensible. Going to go to a caller. Um, he's got a question for you. I believe it's... Um, Jack from San Diego has got a question for you. Hi, Jack. You have a question for Major Husing? Yeah, so we see that the far left hates the police, wants to defund the police. And I think what we've forgotten is the far left 
hates the military even more. My question for your guest is, do you think the Biden administration or even possibly the Harris administration in the near future is going to move to defund the military and close military bases? That's a great question, Jack. Um, I try to stay as apolitical as possible uh, when answering questions like that, because I, I still do like to have a lot of faith that there are plenty of sage leaders left on both sides of the aisle that are going to make the best interest. Uh, we have historically seen with a, uh, a, a Democrat uh, held House and, and Senate and in the, in, the, in the White House that they reduce a lot of the military budgets, not just benefits for veterans, but active duty uh, personnel and more importantly, programs, because the, the battalions at the, at the low level that, you know, we can lose those here and there and reconstitute them. But the programmatics that we rely on for advanced training, advanced technology to move forward, I really think that that could be an issue moving forward. And that's that's why we in the military favor a more conservative approach to spending and making sure that we, we don't get paid a lot in the military. That's yeah, just right. the fact. We don't do it for the money. We do it because we love this country and want to see one thing continue, democracy. Because there's no such thing as Afghan democracy or French democracy. It's democracy. There's no such thing as American democracy. It's just one flavor. And we all on both sides have to subscribe to that notion that democracy is important. But when you're in a country for 20 years, like Afghanistan, democracy will never prevail without first security so people can make decisions. After those decisions are made, another thing has to happen. Economic throughput. If we don't have economic throughput to build that country and show them what that type of growth can look like, what education can look like, what industry can look like, that will never take seed and grow. And then we needed to keep people there to like we still have people in Germany. Right. We still have people in Japan. Right. We you know, we still have we can't have a base of force, you know, at all around after World War Two, all around that we have, you know, um, bases in Guam and Philippines. Right. Um, you know, to think that we're going to have nobody left there was just not good strategy. I've got about a minute left with you, um, Major Houston. Jack, thank you for calling in. I appreciate that. Um, I, I it would be. It would be a, a dereliction of my duty if I didn't ask you about all these reports coming out about the wokeness of what they're trying to do in the military um, from the CRT that's being taught. And do you, how, what are your thoughts on that in terms of concern for um, the the woke wokeness, as they say, that's that's changing in the culture in the military? The great thing about the military is they're very they're very willing to in, embrace improvement and and no one likes change. I already use that word improvement, but there's one thing that's essential to make the military great, the U S military. And that is we are designed as a war fighting organization. And anytime you add things or detract things that, that take away from our war fighting capability, I have a problem with that because that is a distractor for every person at every level of command, everybody within an organization, across every branch of service. Those things are massive distractors that really take away from the warfighting capability. But I will say this, because I know we're short on time, is that our men and women that serve in the U.S. military, despite some of the things you see on the social and political landscape, they are the best, most well-trained fighting force on this planet. And this day, I don't lose any sleep knowing that these young men and women, these millennials, these Gen Zers, 
that are now taking up the mantle of responsibility to safeguard our country, they're going to do the right things and they're going to continue to thrive. What we need to be cautious of as private citizens now is making sure that we get the right people to run for office and then vote them in. I right. think that we're right. always getting right. best Major, of the worst every Major, time we have to cast a ballot. Excuse me, Major. I want to interrupt you real quick. We've got one more caller on the line. We've only got a minute. So, Joel, I'm going to ask you to be real quick with your question. I'm going to ask you to get it down in like 10 seconds so that Major Husing has at least 30, 30 seconds to answer. Go, Joel. It's about rules of engagement. I'm frustrated because we're this great fighting force. And our rules of engagement handcuff us. Can you address that? Absolutely. We, we're, we're bound to those. I think that when we put more obstacles in front of the individual soldier and Marine on the ground uh, to conduct that mission, and our mission was clear, kill or capture anti-Iraqi forces. That's what we did in Ramadi in the deadliest city in Iraq in 2006 and 2007. And it allowed us to be very successful to turn the tide of the war. So all of those administrators and senior level leaders, they have to be cautious of not putting too many roadblocks in front of people while at the same time adhering to the rule of law, the law of war, rules of engagement and our and our code of conduct as professional soldiers, because we're not a bunch of mercenaries out there doing our own free will. That's just a a vital thing to be and to be successful in the battlefield, but also to keep the, the image of the American fighting force as as above reproach as possible. Well, Major Major Scott Husing, thank you for being here tonight. I'm going to have to continue to have you back on a more regular basis because I just I could do three hours tonight with you and still not cover everything. The book is Echo in Ramadi, and I think it's a great time for people to read that and to be and and to be reacquainted with our military heroes and what it's like to be on the battlefield and the brotherhood as a part of that. And I think that it might be a good time to read that. Right, uh, Major Husing, for people to read that and 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 rediscover and and be re- reunited with with great military stories at this time of such a dismal defeat and the way that we exited Afghanistan. Tell everybody how they can find it. You can find the book on Amazon. It's Echo and Ramadi by Scott Husing. You can find me on social media at Echo and Ramadi and check it out. This is a great story about leadership, team building, overcoming adversity, and this this amazing power of human connection that supports all the war fighters, not only when we fight, but when we come back home, our families that keep us, uh, you know, surrounded by love and, and, and hope. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your service. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for writing the book. All right. Take good care, sweetie. All right. Um, Before we take a break, I think my buddy Rich Ryle is waiting on the phone. He and I have a super fun event on Labor Day. Yeah, I want to end this segment on a positive note. We're talking to my buddy from the Hogwash Hour, Rich Ryle. Hey, buddy. Hey, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm excited. Noah was down there. We mic'd the the uh, Ronald the story Ronald Reagan Convention Conference Center, and we are ready to rock and roll on Monday Labor Day when you and I are going to be talking to the governor's candidates. Okay. And, okay. Breaking news! Breaking news! Did you know that my survey we we the Hogwash Party can uh, we paid for a survey and the survey results are in and they show the no votes at thirty eight percent with a plus or minus error factor of two percent. When I talked to the guy, he said there's his rich there's. There's no way in the world he's going to get 38%, but I just got to do it because we're that close with everybody else. Everybody says it's going to be close, not going to be close. So we decided to disinvite the governor. We don't think he's worth the time. He's irrelevant now. 
Yeah, he is. I mean, the only thing I'm concerned about is um, is election fraud with these mail-in ballots. I've got a story I'm going to tell everybody uh, about in a little bit. Uh, there's an organization uh, found that 15 million, 15 million mail-in ballots are unaccounted for from 2020. So there's, and we know that this felon was found, I think, in Torrance with with hundreds of mail-in ballots in his bag. So this is why we got to keep the focus on it. If it was just straight up, you're absolutely right, Rich. I mean, you know, Newsom's gone, right? Um, that's why we've got to keep putting the, the focus on this. We've got to make sure we bring that's the truth. That's the why tr- we got this right. forum going. That's why we got this forum going, because we got to make sure what everybody knows what the deal is, keep them engaged, keep them pumped on why we need to get rid of Newsom so we can overwhelm the fraud with turnout, right? Yeah, you got it. That's what's going to happen, too. And, you know, they don't, the Democrats say, and the, the pollsters, the Democratic pollsters, all are missing the boat here. They're all calling their baits, all the police officers and everybody else, but I'm talking to police officers, firemen, I talking out on the street. They're all voting yes on the recall. They hate Newsom. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. doctors. 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 The doctors will okay. wear the mask, but they're not going to take the vaccine. I think it's interesting that he thought somehow that Kamala Harris was going to help him out. That's not I mean, the, how did he really think that Kamala Harris was going to keep him in office? Rich Ryle. This is money that they are spending to bring these people up. He's already lost. If he thought he had a chance, he'd be going to the forums. He's not going to any of the forums. And the reason he's not going to any of the forums, he knows that it's hopeless. He's going to lose. He already knows that. Well, we're going to have some fun at his expense on Monday. Uh, tell, every, yeah, tell everybody if they want to come uh, to the event or and be sure to listen online. That's true. Listen online. Go to richrial.com. Email me. You want your invitation. We got special offers for and mention KCBQ. Mention KCBQ. You get a special price. It's going to be $50 ahead. We're going to have a hog dinner. It's got uh, prizes, raffles, uh, Diogenes and Socrates are going to be there. It's going to be a great event. Socrates? The, the, dude, Socrates, yes. the dude I studied in college is going to be there. We got Socrates. Do we have Plato too? No, Plato, oh, Plato, Plato we know about. No, we only have Socrates and Diogenes. Plato wrote about the superstar. In fact, the interesting thing about Socrates is no written text from Socrates exists. The only way we know about Socrates is from Plato. All righty. Well, listen, I'm super excited. We're going to have some fun on Labor Day. And thank you for being here to remind everybody. All right. Um, Thank you. All right. We're going to take a tiny little break when we come back. Did uh, did Socrates predict that we'd have all these little mini dictators running around? We got one in ca- here in San Diego County. We're going to talk about him when we come back. Want more Andrea K? Follow her on Facebook at Andrea K, spelled K-A-Y-E. And connect with her on OurFreeNation.org. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is. Andrea K on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Um, a couple of things I want to make mention of. Um, actually, here's a little Louisiana trivia. Speaking of my home state, I'm, I'm a little preoccupied tonight thinking about my people down. Did you know Bonnie and Clyde were, were killed? The big gun bath was in Louisiana. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah I think um, Bienville Parish. It was um, some dopey little. I don't know where that is. Um, I'm not exactly sure, <laughs> but that's a little Louisiana folklore for you. Um, gee, do you think that uh, that uh, San Diego County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher will go down in the folklore of San Diego County? Not a chance. Yeah, um, he's he's certainly not going to go down as a good guy, 
right? Uh, his latest is that um, now, the, now I didn't have, there was so much going on the last couple of weeks. I didn't get a chance to play the audio or video or, or post the video of him getting shouted down at a county supervisor meeting a week or so ago. Um, and that's one reason why I believe he's come up with this new plan. They're discussing tonight, the San Diego uh, County um, Board of Supervisors. He's introducing a resolution to declare that disinformation on COVID-19 is the public health crisis. Because what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to not let what happened happen again, where he's confronted by people that are saying, stop your tyranny. Stop putting masks on kids in schools. Stop the stop the support of mandates on jabs. End it. Knock it off, man. So his his answer is to try to control speech. What I don't have, Skins, is I don't have details of what his plan is. And I don't know if that's because he's just really an idiot and doesn't really have a plan for this. And this is just step one. And he's just trying to make some noise on this. Or um, if he has the idea and he knows how they're going to go about trying to squelch speech, but they don't want you to know that right now. I think it's more likely that. Yeah. Um he, I guess he said today that individuals will always have the freedom of choice. No one is going to be forced vaccinated. No, but what you want to do, it, it, they absolutely want to force it because what they want to do is make your life so miserable and so untenable that you can't go anywhere, do anything or, or get You'll groceries or, home. yeah, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be forced to, um, through exclusionary life, right? Being segregated out and not having any option, but to starve to death alone or get jabbed is really what the plan is. Um, but the truth is, is if this was, and I don't have time to get into it, but we all know the story that if these shots were what they were pretended to be a year ago, there would be no, quote, disinformation they would have to worry about. Right. We were told when they were suppressing therapeutics, you just got to get the shot and then everybody's life will be back to normal because everybody will be protected. Everybody will have if 70 percent got these shots, we would have herd immunity and and that would be the end of it. And now they're not even pretending anymore. You have just as much and you heard it here. You have just as it is. It is no barrier. You have just as much of a chance of getting another variant from it and being hospitalized from it and being sick of it as somebody who has not had the jab. And that's the fact. And on top of that, I heard today from Dr. Fleming that in 1976, when 25 people died, from a swine flu vax, 25 people, they pulled it from the market. Even if you believe the VAERS number, the low number of what, 11,000 now, 11,000 people have died from these shots. And yet the vaccine hesitant people are the ones pushing out the disinformation. This is insane. I think they scrubbed it down from 11,000 to six. So let's go with their low number. 6,000 people have died from getting these shots. There should be no argument. No argument. Those are numbers that can't be disputed because those are the numbers on the CDC's own website. So, little Mussolini wannabe here needs and to shut up and go away. People to comply. No, he's not. All right, love you all. Peace out. Six p.m. Pacific time. Prayers for Louisiana. Oh